Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. This is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. The title of this weekend's message is Bucket List. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 11. It's a beautiful day. You guys enjoy that rain? Did you enjoy uh, the Cardinals beating up on the uh, San Francisco 49ers this last... Uh, okay. Who are they playing today? No one. Oh, yeah, they're, they're on bye week. Okay. So that's why this service is packed out. What in the world? Hey, don't forget, we have a Saturday night service, and we have been maxing out our two Sunday morning services. So we got Saturday night, which is filling up pretty quickly. And, uh, and then we've got also, there's a bunch of people sitting out here in the foyer. Uh, say hi to those people sitting out in the foyer. Okay, and we've also got an overflow room, if you didn't know that, 106. So there's another room with this big screen that you can sit over there if you, you if need a little more elbow space. But good to have you with us. We've got a great study here this morning. It's, it's always a great study. Anytime we're studying God's Word, it's, it's always, always good, good stuff. Uh, take a look at your notes, sermon notes there at the top. Living in light of eternity isn't something we do naturally because we tend to be secular, secularized, or the word secular means now, we live for now. We tend to prefer instant gratification over delayed gratification. This is kind of how we're wired up because we're, we're sinners, we're sinful, it's what our culture is all about. And most of us don't give death much thought until we lose someone close to us or have a close brush with it. And also, if you're getting old like me, it seems, maybe it's just me, but the older I get, the quicker time goes by. How many, how many can relate to that? And, and in a couple of years, I will be 40 years old. <laughs> and I lie a lot when it comes to my age. Actually, I'm going to be 60 in a couple of years. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Hey, thank you. Thank you. Where's my wallet? I'm going to, I'll pay that man. But, uh, but it's interesting. I mean, I, I remember high school years. I thought I was never going to get out of high school. How many thought that? I mean, you got like, oh my goodness. And then as soon as you got out, the first 10 just went like that, boom. And then the second 10, boom. And then if you're old, my, like me, third, and then it just keeps rolling, keeps rolling on and on. And so I actually, uh, when I started really thinking about this, and it actually started early with me because when I spent uh, some years on the fire department and as I began to see my life going fast, there was a sense of urgency within my heart about making life count. What is the purpose of life and how... How can I make my life count? And here's the question I have for you. How would you live if you knew you were going to die within the next year? I did three funerals just within the last month. So it's pretty significant. It's a significant thought to think about. That's where we're headed uh, this morning as we talk about Bucket List. There's a movie that came out just a, a few years ago. It's called Bucket List, Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman. Jack Nicholson is a corporate uh, billionaire, and Morgan Freeman is a mechanic. And it's interesting to watch how their lives kind of intertwine. And in the movie, you kind of get a sense that there's something much deeper than chasing after all the stuff in life. And they, they certainly show that, I think, though the movie stops a little bit short of what the Bible teaches. But these two, 
Terminally ill men escape from a cancer ward and head off on a road trip with a wish list of to-dos before they die. Check this uh, video clip out. What are you doing? What is this? Come on, give it back. What is it? Give it back. It was on the floor. I didn't know it was a state secret. My freshman philosopher professor assigned this exercise in forward thinking. He called it a bucket list. We were supposed to make a list of all the things we wanted to do in our lives before we... Kick the bucket. Yeah. Cutesy. Anyway, I wrote down things like make a million dollars, first black president, you know, young man's wishes. I was gonna redo the list, but then... Help a complete stranger for the good. Laugh until I cry. Not to be judgmental, but this is extremely weak. Well, it's pointless now. I would argue the exact opposite. All right, that's it. What are you doing? A little rewrite, that's all. Now we're on to something. We're on to something? Uh-huh. Let me see that. Come on. Go ahead. <laughs> Kiss the most beautiful girl in the world? How do you propose doing that? Volume. living in the now, and he's, uh, this text actually teaches us how not to waste our lives. In fact, you can see on the notes, <clears throat> live like there's no tomorrow by, and we'll work through the notes, praying fervently, loving earnestly, serving faithfully, and showing hospitality. That's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we'll look at our, our text and unpack these notes. God, we are delighted to be here this morning, and even as I pray Psalm 90, 12 through 17, Father, there is no, there is not a better way for us to not waste our lives than for you to teach us through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us every morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Let your glory be shown to us. Let your beauty be upon us and establish your work through us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, <clears throat> take a look at this text. So the overall letter is Finding Wholeness in a Broken World, subtitle, CrossFit. And uh, as we pick up our reading, chapter 4, 1 Peter, verse 7, it says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore... So he's saying, because of this, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded 
for the sake of your prayer. So he gives us the first item on our bucket list. And then he's going to move to the second one, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he's going to give us the third one here. Actually, I put this as the fourth one on our notes. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then verse 10, as each, this is our, our fourth one, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. He goes on to kind of explain this a little bit more. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. This is the word of the Lord. So he ends with this doxology. He goes through a number of details for our bucket list and then he just uh, ends with Praise and worship to God. So, let's take a look at this. Live like there's no tomorrow. In essence, he's saying, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. What does he mean by that? There's a, at least three different interpretations. First one would be the end of the world. That's what he means. He says the end of the world. Eventually, this world will end. And... Uh, Scientists even say that. Eventually, you know, the sun's going to burn out. Eventually, everything's going to come to an end. And so he could mean that. He could also mean this, end of all things Jewish, because shortly thereafter, this letter, A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. So he could mean that. Or he could mean this third interpretation, and that is the nearness of the demise of those reading the epistle. They were under heavy persecution. Many would be martyred for their faith in Christ. And so, any one of those views is a possible interpretation, and more than anything, I I hope that you get that he's wanting to create a sense of urgency within us as it relates to our time. Our time is running out. I mean, even as I I mentioned, as I look at my own life, I've already reached the half time of my life. I have less time ahead of me than what is behind me. There's more time behind me than what's ahead of me. Uh, If I'm heading towards 60, what do I have? Uh, Maybe another 20 years? Average male lives to uh, to 75, 78, maybe 80. So the marching band has already come out on the field and it's over and I'm in the maybe the third or heading towards the fourth quarter. So, so, you know, it's interesting. And so we kind of, you know, I wasn't laughing, okay? Uh, (laughs) No, I was. I I mean, it is. I'm I'm thinking, wow, okay. So every day, today is one of those days you mark off the calendar. You can't do that again. There's no do-overs. It's done. It's over. Life is like a coin. You can spend it in any way you want to, but you can only spend it once. That's it. And so it's almost as if God has given us a certain, a lot of, you know, a lot of time. And so it's, it's decreasing. You're running out of time. When the Bible says, when he says this, I mean, he's saying the end of all things is at hand. Yes, there's a sense of urgency here. Now, when the Bible talks about eschatology, end times, last days, when are the last days? When did the last days start? When will the last days end? Are we living in the last days? Yeah, absolutely. When did the last days begin? At the first coming of Jesus. So we've been in the last days, according to the Bible, for uh, close to 2,000 years. 
So we are living in the last days, really, really, really living in the last days, the last days of the last days. And so there's that sense of urgency that we need to have. Uh, let me give you some cross-references. You'll notice that on, on um, your notes that I give you some verses, your best commentary for Scripture is always Scripture. kind of helps you to understand it. And you can uh, look at these, look these up, and as you work through the growing notes to kind of dive a little deeper into this. But James 4.14 puts it this way. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's, we don't see that morning mist too often. I think really some uh, translators, commentators would say it's almost kind of like that cold morning where you have that breath, you see the mist come from your breath, you see it and it's gone. That's, that's what he's saying. In light of eternity, that's your life. Boom, like that. It's quick. It's over. Ecclesiastes 7.4 says this, a wise person thinks about death, but a fool thinks only about having a good time. Saw a bumper sticker a number of years ago. Um, I saw actually there's three different bumper stickers that have kind of this theme, but the first one was this, he who dies with the most toys wins. Anybody remember seeing that bumper sticker? Yeah, he who dies with the most toys wins. And then shortly after that, there was a second bumper sticker that came out and it said, he who dies with the most toys is nonetheless dead. Okay, and then I didn't see the third one, but apparently there was a third bumper sticker that came out and said, he who dies with the most toys missed the point. Okay, missed the point of life, the point of life. In fact, Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. And then he says something very profound. It's been very helpful for me. Uh, to really understand my own wiring and what I tend to treasure in my life. He says, where your treasure is, that is where your what will be also. Where your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So it's interesting that he would say that as it relates to where you're storing up treasures. And this is how you know where you're storing up treasures. Your treasure is that which you find the greatest pleasure the things that you treasure is where you find your greatest pleasure. So where do you find your greatest pleasure? That will be your ultimate treasure. And so he's saying that your treasure controls your heart. It trolls, it, it, whatever dominates your thoughts stirs your deepest emotion and moves you to action. It's controlled by by your heart, that's your heart, and your heart is controlled by your treasure. We do what we do because we think what we do will get us what we want. And it's, a, it's an issue of our treasure. And so what he's saying is that find Christ as your greatest treasure, and therefore you will find your deepest pleasure in him. Don't find, in fact, there's a lot of pleasurable things in creation, but he's saying, but it's in the creator is where you'll find your greatest pleasure. Make him your highest treasure. That's, that's the idea. And in fact, I mean, I could just tell you really what this sermon's about. The sermon is about how, how do we live an unwasted life. The unwasted life is the life that puts Christ on display in life and death as supremely valuable, as your greatest treasure, where you find the most pleasure in your life. In other words, yeah, there's plenty of things because you know that every good and perfect gift comes from God, so you enjoy 
I've got a quadruple shot. It's just a Americano over eyes. Put a little cream in there right from Desert Breeze Cafe. Mmm. I've been having the honey lattes, ice honey lattes. Anybody have those? Those are good, but not this morning. I need to kind of cut back a little bit on the, on the sweet. But I find a lot of pleasure in this. But, I, but you can use this as a worship experience, knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from God and not letting it terminate on something on creation, but let it roll on up to the creator in thanksgiving and adoration of who he is. And that's what the Bible's saying. That's what he's saying. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but in heaven. And, and so that's the best way to live an unwasted life. And then he gives us a number of things here. Let's walk through these. And he tells us here on this list, pray fervently. That's your first fill in the blank. And you notice beside each one of these, I put a G1, G2, G3, G4, and then at the very end, G5. You guys know what those Gs stand for? Anybody? Yeah, there's the 5G process here at Desert Breeze of full devotion to Christ. So Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the what? Fullest, yeah, John 10, 10. And fullness of life comes as a result of our full devotion to him. What does that look like? It's a genuine Christian. That's the first G. And I believe that each of these really go in line with our full devotion to Christ, which gives us fullness of life, which helps us to live an unwasted life where we find our deepest pleasure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so praying fervently, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit. So be self-controlled. What is self-control? Proverbs 25, 26. How many would like to have a little bit more self-control in your life? Okay, show of hands. Yeah, I think most of us would. And the reason for that is because Proverbs 25, 26 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You have no sense of boundaries. You're saying yes to the wrong things and no to the to the wrong things. You know, it's, it's almost this, this mixture of things, and that's what boundaries are. Uh, cities without walls were unprotected. They were intruded upon through wild animals that could come into the heart of the city and just devour the people, or they could, uh, or enemy nations could come in, and so the enemy nations would have to breach the wall. But if you have good wall, good sense of boundaries, there's that protection. That's, that's extremely healthy. That's why we need that self-control. So it's interesting. So let's walk this out. So we need self-control. Now, I was asking my brother-in-law a number of years ago, I said, why is it that people struggle attending church, coming to church regularly, reading their Bible, and praying? Why is that such a struggle for Christians? And he just simply said, it's because they don't value it. And I go, no, 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 no. They, they value it. And he goes, no, they don't. I go, no, no. I, they value it. They told me they value it. So I've asked him, I said, hey, do you, you know, and, I, I, and they've told me that they value it. He goes, no, no, really, they don't. They don't actually value it. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, wait, 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 you know what? You're right. We may say we value these things, but you see, the things we value, we prioritize. The things we prioritize, we practice. That's a good sense of self-control. It comes down to, to values, and the reason why we really don't value, we may say we value it, but the reason why we don't value it is because we're not sober-minded. Did you notice that word sober-minded means that we need self-control, but we need, self, we need to be sober-minded so that we are in self-control, so that we're saying yes and no to the appropriate things in our lives, so that we are well-protected. And so sober-minded means to be in your right mind, in touch with reality. And I shared with you last weekend uh, Ephesians 5, 18, where it says, don't be drunk 
Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, which we, uh, debauchery is just a life out of control. There's no sense of boundaries to your life. Uh, but be filled with the Spirit. And I mentioned to you that those, are, uh, those two things, wine and uh, spirit-filled, are, are alike and unalike. They're alike in the fact that they give you both. They can make you very uh, happy and courageous, but they're unalike in how they help to do that in your life. Alcohol decreases reality. That's why people are happy and courageous. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, increases reality, therefore making us happy. We, we, we prefer the word joy, joyful and courageous, because... It's the Holy Spirit's job to increase the reality of Christ in our life, that he is more real, that he's more desirable, that he's more satisfying than anything in creation. And so we lack self-control because we're not sober-minded and we're not sober-minded about the fact that Jesus is our most satisfying reality. If Jesus was your most satisfying reality, nothing would keep you from church and reading your Bible and praying. You'd have to say no to that just to, to, to function in life. I mean, it would be easy to turn the TV off if he was indeed your most satisfying reality. But the reason why we, we overdose on TV or any number of other things is because we're not sober-minded. We're not living in the reality. We do what we do because we think what we are doing will get us what we want. We find our deepest pleasure in anything and everything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. So if you want to live a life that counts He's talking about prayer, connecting with God at a, at a very deep level, but you, you got, we have to be self-controlled and sober-minded. It is almost impossible to connect someone who is drunk to reality. How many of you have ever tried to talk sense into somebody that's drunk? Like, don't drive. Here, give me those keys or, or any number. It's hard to do that. There is an addictive, inebriating power of worldliness, and if you are drunk with the pleasures of this world, then you will have no taste for heaven and no desire for prayer. So what do you do when someone has given themselves over to the stupor of worldliness? They need an intervention. And we regularly need interventions in our life. The only way to escape the drunkening, mind-altering, oblivious, God-ignoring effects of this world is through weekly interventions with the people of God, both large settings as this setting and small settings, we call them life groups, smaller group settings, in the word of God, through the work of the spirit, reminding us that Christ is our most satisfying reality. There's nothing on this planet, nothing in creation that can satisfy your heart like the creator. See, that's, that, there's where idolatry comes in, and that's why we choose the things that we do, the things we value, we prioritize, the things we prioritize, we practice. We just look at our practices, and it tells us a lot about what's going on in our life. It tells us where our heart is. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Gave you some verses there, uh, James 4.2, uh, James 5.16. These are, that, these are verses that light a fire within me for prayer. James 4.2 says this, we have not because what? Anybody? Because we ask not. Do you hear what he's saying? You go without in your life because you fail to go to him and ask for it. Isn't that crazy? There's a lot of things that he wants to bring into your life, but because you fail to come to him, you don't have it. You have not because you ask not. In fact, it even says here, 
that uh, 5.16, James 5.16, it says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. So there's something that happens. There's something that happens in our lives when we connect with God, the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and earth. That's what he says. He says there's power. This stuff happens as a result of your interaction with me. Now, one of the main things that I love that happens is one of my favorite verses is Psalm 1611. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. There are pleasures to be found in Christ that cannot be found by watching the Cardinals beat up on the San Francisco 49ers or any any other pleasures. You, You think of your best vacation spot. You think of the, the big, nice, great home. You know, I, I find it interesting that uh, in this movie, uh, the pair begins an around-the-world vacation, skydiving together, climbing the pyramids, drive a Shelby Mustang was on the list, fly over the North Pole, eat in a fancy uh, Fran- uh, uh, restaurant in France, you know, visit the Taj Mahal. I mean, they go through this whole list, and yet it's almost as if Peter's saying, wait, 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 that's not a list. Let me give you the list. You want your life to count? It's not found out there. And, that, and there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but when we, we pursue these things to the, to the expense of that which is eternal, then that's when it becomes wrong. When we're trying to find pleasures of life in creation over and above the Creator, then that's when it's wrong. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Listen to me. If you believed that, nothing would keep you from connecting with him in prayer and Bible study and with other fired up Christians. Nothing would keep you from that. I mean, there is, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Incomparable and indomitable joy awaits those who abide that is, make their home in his presence. We have his presence. That's what's so amazing, that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we have the presence of God. And in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Nothing chases away the fears and fills you with love, joy, peace, like abiding in God's presence. So that's the first on the checklist. How you doing? Praying fervently, G1, that's a genuine Christian. That's what a genuine Christian looks like. Man, you love the presence of God. Here's the second one, loving earnestly, because I think the second one comes out of the first one. I think, man, when you spend time with God, you're going to begin to love fervently. And this is a growing Christian. This is evidence that you're truly growing. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So he says above all. Why would he say above all? What does above all mean? Above all. So this this sounds like kind of like the highest priority, doesn't it? So what did Jesus say to the disciples in the 13th chapter after he had washed his feet? 13th chapter of John, verses 34 through 35. Anybody? He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your what? By your love. Love for one another. In fact, he starts at verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Oh, my goodness, that's wonderful. Do you have any idea how much he loves you? See, I think the Christian life is kind of this, uh, where it, it kind of turns you into this love philanthropist. You guys know what a love philanthropist would be? You guys know what a philanthropist is. 
But a love, for, love, uh, love philanthropist, I almost can't say it there, but a love philanthropist is one who is so filled up with the love of God, is just so overtaken by his love that you begin to recklessly give his love away, not expecting anything in return from anyone. Do you know his love like that? See, if you're spending time with him, people who spend time with God radiate his goodness and his greatness and his love. They can't help but do that. That's what he's saying here. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love, your love for one another. So above all, this should be the characteristic of your life. So as you're growing older, you should be even a better lover. And then he says, love one another earnestly. Some translations say love deeply. Literally means strenuously. And the word means here, in ancient times, Lynn, turn me up just a tad. I'm going to back off just a little bit. Thank you. <clears throat> in ancient times, described a horse at full gallop or an athlete who would stretch or strain their muscles to win a race. So he's just saying, hey, love people with all you got. And the word love here is agape love. It's, a, um, it's an unconditional love which I find really interesting because in our day and time we define love more based on feelings than we do on, on a commitment. And uh, this agape love, you don't have to feel love to give this kind of love. In fact, to give love when you don't feel love is the strongest kind of love. You don't feel your way into acting love. You actually think and act your way into feeling love. That's the kind of love he's talking about here. You don't fall in and out of love. We oftentimes hear people say, well, we we just fell out of love or we fell into love. You don't do that. It's a committed kind of love. It's a covenant love. This is the kind of love that says, "I I will be there no matter what. I will be there no matter what. It's how God loves you. And the cross proves it and provides it to us and so that we can give it to others. And then he says, love covers a multitude of sins. I want you to do this. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's a good thing that love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> say that real quick. Now, did the person say to you, why, why did you say that? I mean, he's like, because there's a lot of sins here that we have to cover. Now, what does he mean by that? What do you think he means by that? I believe that love covers a multitude of sins. The, the, the cross, it really assumes that we will sin against each other. That's what it's assuming. Would you agree with that? So if it says, hey, love covers a multitude of sins, it sounds like well, there's going to be a lot of sinning going on between us. Okay? And, and so I think it, and the cross actually provides us with both this humble confidence that I'm more sinful I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. And so that helps me to not be insensitive, knowing that I'm going to probably sin against you. So I'm I'm aware of that, and so I'm I'm not going to be insensitive, and so I'm going to be open when you come and confront me over what I said or did to you because of the humility in my life. But it also gives us confidence because not only am I more sinful than I ever dared to think, I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. He loved me so much he wanted to die for me, so it gives me the confidence, and therefore I'm not going to be hypersensitive. 
when you, you know, when you're not loving to me because I'm going to be that love philanthropist that is so filling my heart up with his love that I can recklessly give it away without expecting anything in return. So the, so the cross helps us, helps us with that. Now this is not, when he says love covers a multitude of sins, this is not an enabling kind of love. You guys know what it means to be an enabler? When you enable somebody, you just kind of let them get away with all kinds of bad stuff and they just crash and burn and they bring a relationship down. That's not good. It's not, I don't think he's talking about that. This isn't enabling love. See, that, that kind of love is love minus truth, which is basically just flattery. But it's a kind of empowering love, which is love plus truth that transforms. It's the kind of love that, once again, God loves us with. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. He loves us in order to make us lovable. He loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to do what? Let us stay that way. So you're in a relationship with someone, and you love them just the way they are, but you love them too much to let them stay that way. So there's this challenge. So, yeah, there's a multitude of sins that you cover over, as Christ does, in his giving us that righteousness, that justification, but then there's sanctification where there's that challenge, he loves us, he's trying to, to grow us up and to mature us, and so there's this, this balance in our life. I gave you a number of verses that make that very clear. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, really help us to understand that even more clearly. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth always trusts, always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So that's the kind of love that God loves us with, and then we can give that to others. And so that's the second one. So praying fervently, loving earnestly, and then serving faithfully. G3, giving, giving Christian. You've got a genuine, growing, giving Christian, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Grace. So he says, as each one has received a gift. I mean, can you believe that? When you, when you cross the line, when you make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us a gift. I think he gives us multiple gifts. But these are gifts that we can use within the body of Christ. I gave you the different addresses where you can identify the different gifts in the New Testament. Romans 12, 3 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. And so what we learn from this is that every Christian is a minister how many ministers do we have here at Desert Breeze? If you're a Christian, raise your hand because you're a minister. Yeah, you are a minister. I am an administer. It's my job to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And so I'm here to help you to enter into the ministry. I know some of you are thinking, when do we get that tax deduction for being a pastor? <laughs> well, you can't have that, but you can certainly be involved in ministry Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian has a different function, so you are a unique, one-of-a-kind original. God broke the mold when he made you. Thank goodness. Every Christian ministry is important. No one can take your place. No one can take your place. In fact, you cripple the body of Christ when you don't serve. But more than cripple the body of Christ, you cripple yourself. You hurt yourself. It says here, use, use it to serve one another. Every member belongs to each other. Um, my gifts are not for me, but for you. When I've taken the inventories, my three primary gifts are teaching, leadership, and evangelism. Let's take, for instance, teaching. 
That teaching gift is not for me, it's for you. I do not like listening to myself on the DB app, okay? I despise it, actually. And it sounds crazy, but I can't listen to myself because it's not for me. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Because I'm hypercritical and I go, oh, that sounds so predictable. And why did he say that? And what's wrong with this guy anyway? Hey, wait a minute, that's me. I listen to a lot of other guys. But uh, my gift is for you. Your gifts are for me. And so let me just say that the tendency is that we think about ourselves, I don't really have much to offer. You have a lot to offer. I don't like listening to me, and you might not like listening to you, but you have something to say and you have something to do. Does that make sense? And sometimes I look at myself and I hyper-criticize myself, and and that can sideline you from being involved in ministry. I still get up faithfully because I know, God, if you don't show up, I don't have much to say. I don't have much to really help these people with. And yet, amazingly, amazingly, God uses me. And that's what he will do for you, too. And he says, as good stewards of God's very grace, grace, that which brings joy, pleasure, and delight, that, some, that you could do something in such a way that it would stir up greater appetite within others for Christ. There are some needs that only you can see. There are some hands that only you can hold. There are some people that only you can reach. I love what, what it says in John 4, 31 through 38. Another text you can study, but this is where Jesus and his disciples were going through Samaria, kind of a forbidden, off-limits kind of place. They stop at a well, Woman shows up, the disciples go into town for food because they're pretty hungry and they're exhausted, so it's kind of a rest break. And so Jesus talks to this woman who's been married five times, living with the guy that she's uh, currently with. And what Jesus is trying to do is trying to get her to see that it's not found in romance horizontally. It's found in romance vertically, in Christ. You're trying to fill a need that only he can meet. And and he says, drink of this water, you'll be thirsty again. And he's talking about in creation. Anything in creation, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink from the creator, um, the fountain of living water, oh my goodness, you'll never, ever be thirsty again. And he's carrying on this conversation. Disciples come back and they say, here, Jesus, we got some food for you. He says, nope, I'm okay. And they go, what? Did he already have something to eat? And he says something very profound. I have food you know nothing about. What was the food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Notice he didn't call it an appetizer. He didn't call it, you know, a dessert. He said, this is my food. And I'll tell you what, this is my food when I get up and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ week in and week out. Oh my goodness, it satisfies me tremendously. There's something that God puts into my life Uh, as I minister to others, and he will do the same for you, whatever it might be. Whatever you do in his name, that's part of that giftedness. So if I were to come to you, you ought to be able to identify your gifts, because he's giving you gifts, and then where you're plugged into a local church family and using those gifts so that we can become stronger and bigger and better as a church so that we can do the last one here, which is G4, going Christians, that we can reach this community by showing hospitality. That's the next one. Showing hospitality. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is a New Testament word that literally means to love the stranger. And uh, you guys know this slogan. See if you can uh, complete it as I state it. DB is a place where strangers become what? Friends and friends become family. To have friends, you must be what? You must be a friend. 
To have friends, you must be a friend. Are you a friendly person? The curse of our times is individualism. The curse of our times is individualism. We can even come into a large setting like that and never connect with anybody. One of the reasons why we kind of do an extended long, have you guys noticed we kind of do an extended longer time of greeting as opposed to what you typically see in most churches? Most churches you just kind of turn, okay, yeah, hi. You sit back down. But we actually give you a little, you know, a couple more minutes. Why do we do that? We want you to greet. We want you to get to know the folks around you. We used to do this in the early days of Desert Breeze. Maybe we could get back to this at some time. But we would actually take a 15-minute break between the worship and the teaching. Go get your coffee. Let's hang out. Because oftentimes people will come late and leave early, and they'll miss on part of the, the experience, and that's just connecting with one another. Um, it tells us in Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He's self-absorbed is what the Bible says. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And it's really due to pride um, when we're not hospitable. And it's more than just inviting people to your home. It's inviting people into your life. It's interacting with others. It's, it's being friendly. My wife and I uh, are part of the Western Metals Irrigation District. We just live a you know, just about a mile down the street. It's irrigated property. I was kind of forced onto the board because of some issues that were happening with the, with the board. And it's been a very good thing. They know that I'm a pastor. We've used the facilities for some of our meetings. And so people know a little bit more about Desert Breeze because we were very hospitable, not only as a family, but as a church family. And so it's had an impact. But week in and week out over the last year and a half or so, there was a Zanero, a guy that watches the ditches for us. It was a young man that was hired probably in his 20s, early 30s, who had just recently gotten married. And he would come in and sit on our couch, and I would try to interact with him and try to engage him, but he was kind of standoffish. And uh, tried to reach out to him week in and week out, and, just, and uh, I found out just two weeks ago that uh, he put a shotgun to his head and ended his life. It was devastating for me because I'm thinking, this guy was sitting in my home. Did I do everything I could to reach out to him? I began to look at my own life, and I, I feel like I did. I mean, when you walk into our home, there's a lot of Bible verses on the wall, and so he knew I was a pastor. He knew what was going on. I tried to engage him, talk to him about his, his marriage and various things like that, but evidently he had reached a place of hopelessness, and nobody knew. That's the curse of individualism. You have no idea what people come in with week in and week out right here at Desert Breeze. And oftentimes all they're needing is a handshake, a smile, an embrace, to know that they matter. They matter to you. They matter to the God of the galaxies. And that's why he talks about this, this hospitality without grumbling. Hey, those people are sitting in my seat. What's the deal here? Let them have your seat. Go down to 106 and watch it on the screen. You know, that's what he's talking about here. You want to live an unwasted life? Offer hospitality. Genesis 2.18 says this, uh, it is not good for man to be what? I shared this a few weeks back, but it was kind of more my generation. There's a... Uh, a TV show that kind of represents this need within us. And the song of that, uh, 
of that TV show goes like this, a place where everyone knows you're, a place where they're glad you came, a place where everybody's problems are the, wow, you know that. What's the name of the TV show? Yeah. They ripped that off from the Bible. That's called fellowship. That's called hospitality. Now, my kids' generation, it was another uh, TV program, and the, the, the theme song was, I'll be there for... And what's the name of the show? Yeah. They ripped that one off from the Bible. Because that's what we need. Hospitality. This, I believe, is the most effective means of evangelism and discipleship. Philippians 2, 14 through 15, it says, Do all things without grumbling. Shine as lights in the world. Show them what a friend they have in you so that you can tell them what a friend they have in Jesus. And I believe also it, it helps us with discipleship. We become like the people we most hang out with. So praying fervently, loving earnestly, serving faithfully, showing hospitality. Let me show you another clip from this movie. Uh, it's, it's interesting because as they kind of pursue all of these things, there's some major transformation that takes place in their life. And Jack Nicholson, the character that he plays, has been estranged from his daughter. And so he reunites with his daughter and his granddaughter. And it's, it's, it's a bit moving. Uh, Morgan Freeman, as you will see in the clip, has, has passed away and his family is grieving that. It just, it's a good reminder. We're running out of time. Don't waste your life. Watch this. Dear Edward, I've gone back and forth the last few days trying to decide whether or not I should even write this. In the end, I realized I would regret it if I didn't. So here goes. I know the last time we saw each other, we weren't exactly hitting the sweetest notes. Certainly wasn't the way I wanted the trip to end. I suppose I'm responsible. And for that, I'm sorry. But in all honesty, if I had the chance, I'd do it again. Virginia said I left a stranger and came back a husband. I owe that to you. There's no way I can repay you for all you've done for me. So rather than try, I'm just going to ask you to do something else for me. Find the joy in your life. You once said you're not everyone. Well, that's true. You're certainly not everyone. But everyone is everyone. My pastor always says, our lives are streams flowing into the same river towards whatever heaven lies in the mist beyond the falls. Hello, sweetie. Hi. Find the joy in your life, Edward. It's a great clip. Take a look at your notes here. All for God's glory. Fifth G. All for God's glory. Where are you going to find the joy? I'll tell you where you find the joy. It's by living for God's glory. Live for his glory. Because God is most glorified in us when we are what? When we are most satisfied in him. You were created by God for God to give glory to God. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all what? Do all to the glory of God. Because that's where you're going to find the greatest satisfaction. 
He's our greatest treasure. That's where we'll find the greatest pleasure. And it's out of that overflow. Then we'll be able to make the decisions of life. You'll notice there the last verse, verse 11, we've got on, on your notes. In order that in everything God may be glorified, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Be satisfied in him. And if you are satisfied in him, you will live an unwasted life. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says this. It says, for our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I'd like to also replace that with our light and momentary accomplishments, accolades, and achievements are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. The unwasted life is the life that puts Christ on display in life and death as supremely valuable. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message. It's, it has moved me and stirred me and motivated me. And God, I want my life to count. May we be a group of people that we make our lives count. We don't waste our lives. We live like there's no tomorrow, praying fervently, loving earnestly, serving faithfully, and showing hospitality, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.